First Corinthians chapter 15 tonight. First Corinthians 15. Wonder if there's anyone in this room tonight that would raise their hand and say, I think I am more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. If you did, I would say you're a little prideful as well. Um, I, I don't think any of us would make that claim that we are as spiritual or more spiritual than the Apostle Paul. Amazing man. Uh, we're going to look a little bit about what he said about himself tonight. Um, did he consider himself to be an amazing man? All right, well, we'll, we'll see that. We're going to start in verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles that I'm not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. I always think of pastor when I read this verse, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Neat verses, um, and Pastor quotes them often. Uh, we, we, we have studied them in the past, but I wanted to take a kind of a fresh perspective at them this, this evening, and I hope that we can all glean something from these verses that we can take with us tonight. Um, and starting off with uh, thinking about the Apostle Paul, what he said in that first verse there. Uh, he says in verse 9, "'For I am the least of the apostles.'" First point tonight is our miserable state our miserable state. Often we don't like to think of us, ourselves as being in a miserable state. We like to think of ourselves as pretty good people. <laughs> uh, we like to think of us as having it all together. Um, but the truth is, and the Apostle Paul nails it here, that we are in a miserable state, especially when I think before salvation. Before salvation, we truly are in a terribly miserable state. Um, First point under that is we are not important. Now, this is completely opposed to what the world tries to tell us, isn't it? The world tries to tell you you are important as an individual and you need to have self-esteem and you need to think of yourself as something great uh, in order to succeed. You know, the Bible doesn't say that. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that you need to think great things of yourself. In fact, what does Paul say here? For I am the least of the apostles. He says, I, I, I am least. In, uh, later on, we'll be reading that he says that he's the least of all saints. In other words, the least of all Christians. This is the view that the Apostle Paul had of himself. And, and so it's good for us to think every once in a while that of our miserable state. Without Christ, we are nothing. We, we are not important. We're not big stuff. Um, if we, re- if, uh, we won't turn there, but if we read through Ephesians chapter 3, eventually get to verse 7, it says, Wherefore, Whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his, of his power. Okay? So Paul is talking here about the grace that was given to him by God so that he could minister, so that he could be an effectual minister. The next verse follows up on that and says, Unto me... This was this grace given, in other words, unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul didn't see himself as an amazing person. He didn't see himself as a spiritual giant. He saw himself as less than the least of all saints. That's a powerful example 
for me, <laughs> because as, as human beings, we are always tempted to think of our, ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Um, but taking the, the example of Paul here, we do see our miserable state that we're not important in and of ourselves. Number two, we are not fit. Okay? I'm not talking about your new, re- new Year's resolution to work out at the gym. We're talking about being fit to, per- um, to, to serve a purpose, fit for a s- specific task. Let's go ahead and keep, keep your finger there in 1 Corinthians. We'll turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 together. 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll spend a little while reading in the Word this evening, as this is our Wednesday night Bible study after all. I think it's a good thing to do. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and let's get over there. We'll start in verse 21. It says, If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vassal unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared unto every good work. Okay, so we'll stop there for a minute. Um, the word meet is kind of the same idea that we're thinking of as being fit for a task, being meet for a task, um, being qualified for a specific task, okay? So he's saying here that if you purge yourself from these sins, we're going to read them in a minute, um, you are sanctified as a vessel into honor that is useful for the master, that's meat for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. Now, let's follow that up. What are we purging ourselves from? Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But foolish and unlearned questions avoid, knowing that they do gender strifes. And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. All right, a lot going on here in these verses. Uh, But Paul is speaking to Timothy, a brother in the faith, a a, a fellow minister. Um, And he's saying that if you're going to be a servant of God, which I hope all of us this evening want to be a servant of God, maybe not a full-time minister, but someone who serves the Lord. If you're going to be serving the Lord, there needs to be certain qualifications in your life. You need to, you need to make sure that you are keeping yourself from these sins. Um, what are these sins? Well, we, we saw just a few of them. Meekness, not having meekness, that's a problem. Uh, he encouraged him to be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, a lot of these things are difficult for us, aren't they? We're not always patient. We're not always gentle. We're not always apt to teach people. Um, sometimes we, it's also mentioned in these verses, um, striving over foolish questions. Uh, we, we don't need to be doing those things. We need to be keeping ourselves from these things in order to be fit for the master's use. And just reading through this passage made me think how often I struggle with these things. I struggle with being fit for the master's use. Uh, I, I struggle being meat for his use. Um, and so I think it's very, very applicable in this, in this message talking about how Paul, he didn't see himself as necessarily fit for the master's use. He said, God, out of his grace, has allowed me to serve him. God, because of his grace, has allowed me to be a minister of the gospel. And so he says, hey, we're not important. In and of ourselves, we're not even fit to serve God. And number three, he says, we are not righteous. 
We are not righteous. This may go uh, without explaining, but um, just following up with a verse here, Isaiah 64, 6, but we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our impurities like the wind have taken us away. Again, this is not the exciting part of the message. This is not the happy part of the message. We will get there. Um, but it makes me think of a time in the past when um, I, you've, you've probably been prodded this way as well. But I think of specifically a time in my life, uh, I was in one of those things that some people would term as a pyramid scheme. You may have heard of those before. And uh, this was when I was graduating from high school early on in college. And I was going out making contacts and trying to build up my business and all those things. And uh, nothing, nothing against businesses like that, I I think they're great. I think many of them work. Um, but at this time, I was trying to do. The, I was trying to, you know, get busy and build up a business while I'm in college, and that's tough uh, with finding time to do that. Um, but occasionally, we go to these big conventions, um, and some of them. One of them was in D.C. Uh, there's there are several places where we would meet. Um, but I remember specifically one specific convention. This was a Christian based organization. And so they would have services on Sunday. Uh, services, um, very lightly, <laughs> lightly said. Um, uh, the, it, it, was, it, it was barely a service. Um, but they, they, would have, they would have Christian music and uh, supposedly a Christian pastor there. And, uh, and uh, some of the things that they shared was good. But I remember one time specifically in one of these services, the pastor that was speaking up there was trying to, I don't think he was trying to sell the CDs, but he was encouraging um, people to get these CDs that were self-motivational CDs. Um, and he said that he would have his kids listen to these CDs at night um, while they were going to bed to build their self-esteem. And it would say things like, I believe in you, and things like that. Um, self, self-esteem CDs, I guess we could call them. And something about that didn't quite ring true with me. And I was thinking, uh, you know, I was, talking, I was talking to one of my siblings afterwards, and I was like, well, what, do you, what did you think about that? Um, and obviously, um, there, there are points both ways. Um, but the fact of the matter is that we don't need self-esteem CDs to build up our self-confidence. <laughs> we, we, don't need, we don't need someone. And in a business like that, there's constantly motivational speakers trying to make you believe in yourself and you can do this and all that. And I, I understand that. Um, but it's, it, it, for a Christian, I think we need to be very, very careful when approaching something like that. I think we need to be very, very careful that the pride in our hearts doesn't get the upper hand Um, because we shouldn't think great things of ourselves. We shouldn't think that we are self-sufficient. We should put all of our dependence on God. We're going to see that in the next few few minutes here. Um, But in and of ourselves, we're not important, we're not fit, and we're not righteous. So that's our miserable state. Let's move on. Second point here, our miraculous bestowment. Some big words there, our miraculous bestowment. Pretty much God has miraculously bestowed something on us. And we see that in the very first part of verse 10. He says, uh, and we're back in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. We'll take that first part and just take a quick glance at that. Um, the God, God's grace that he's given unto us. Um, first of all, God's grace transforms us. 
And it should. When we, when we receive the grace of God, it should completely transform our lives. Um, and, and it truly does that. Keep your finger there again. We'll turn over to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 in your Bibles. You'll remember this as a very familiar story from the Apostle Paul, um, but a very practical um, testimony from his own life about how that grace was transforming in his life. Let's start in verse 1. We'll read a good portion of the passage here. Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? More like, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto him, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink." So miserable state to start off with. This is a rough part of Saul's life. He's, he's doing what he thinks has been right, and then all of a sudden God completely dashes all of his aspirations and tells him, you know, you've been fighting against me this whole time, Saul. He's struck with blindness. He's having to be led by the hand of the city. He doesn't know what's going on. You can imagine the low point that Saul is in his life right now. But it's about to take a huge turn. We'll see that starting in verse 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him, uh, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prayeth. And hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, I love how he says, Brother Saul, accepting him as one of his brethren, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, 
and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples that were at Damascus. Look at verse 20. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Wow, 20 verses, and we see Saul going from persecuting the church and being completely opposed to God to preaching in the synagogues and doing God's will for his life. Incredible transformation that Paul saw in his own life. And I think this is a little bit of what he's talking about here in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You know, God didn't have to reach down to him at the, uh, at the road to Damascus. God didn't have to choose Saul to be a minister for him, but he did, and that's called grace, something that Saul did not deserve. God gave him grace that he might become a great man of God. And I think of that, own, that grace in our own life, uh, we, in our own lives. We do not deserve to serve God. We do not deserve to be Christians <laughs> in and of ourselves. Uh, we are so blessed to have a good church that God has placed us in, with a good pastor, with a good church family around us. This is all grace that God has given to us so that we might serve him faithfully. And this is what, this is what Paul is saying in this passage. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. So we see that, um, that God's grace transforms us. Secondly, God's grace should not be in vain. Uh, that, that's, that comes from just that second part of the statement. His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Now, what does it mean for grace to be vain in our lives? Well, vain, as you well know, means empty, emptiness, um, uh, like thin air, something, something, that, something that is completely superficial, something that's empty, um, something that's worthless. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1 says, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Okay, this is talking about salvation in this context, but I think it's very applicable to a Christian's life as well. Someone who receives the grace of God. Yes, I've, I've, I've gotten this wonderful grace that God has given me, um, but is it vain? Is it worthless in your life? Um, are you wasting God's grace today? God has given you so many blessings, so many spiritual benefits in your life, but are you wasting that? Is that vain in your life? That's, that's what Paul's talking about here. That grace that God bestowed upon me, it was not in vain. It, it was worth something. It counted something. I made the most of the grace that God gave to me. When you've left this earth, you specifically, when you've left this earth, Will people say of you that your salvation was worthless? Yes, he's in heaven. Yes, yes, she knew Jesus Christ as her savior. Um, she has her eternity settled, but that person didn't really do a whole lot for Jesus Christ. That grace, all that grace that was given to them, they didn't really do a whole lot with it. They never did a whole lot for Christ. I don't want that to be said of me in my life, that that grace that was bestowed upon me was vain or worthless in any way. That's what Paul says here, that uh, he doesn't want that to be true of him either. That grace was not in vain. So that's our miraculous bestowment, our miserable state, our miraculous bestowment. Let's look at number three, our masterful example. 
And that's also found in verse 10, just looking at, kind of zooming in on these two verses this evening. Um, and a little bit, little bit farther on there, right after it says, was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. The next part says, but I labored more abundantly than they all. I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul's life really speaks for itself. You think about Paul and his abundant laboring for Jesus Christ. He did incredible things. He preached all over the Mediterranean coast. He was stoned and yet lived. He suffered shipwrecked and lived. He was imprisoned for serving the Lord. He, he was miraculously saved out of prison. He was martyred for the faith. So many incredible things that Paul could put on his resume. I've done this for God. I've done that for God. Uh, and yet, to think about how humble he was, saying that he is the least, he's less than the least of all saints. And yes, Paul, Paul was a great example. He was a great mentor. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. I think this is an important principle to grasp a hold of that Paul was someone that was worth following, but it wasn't because of himself. Paul was not just a great personality that we should follow. He says, follow me even as I follow Christ. And so Christ is the ultimate example. Christ is ultimately the one that we're following. But aren't you thankful that God puts people in our lives that follow Christ that we can follow? as well. Like our pastor this evening, like our godly deacons that we have in our church, these men that, um, that are living the right kind of life, not perfect by any means, but they are following Jesus Christ, and therefore we have earthly examples of people that we can follow. And I ask you this evening, are you being that example? Are you like Paul and saying, other people can follow me because I am wholeheartedly following after Christ. I am set on Christ, seeking him with my whole heart. And therefore, other people can follow me because I know I'm on the right path. I know I'm on Christ's path for me. I, I think that's a great challenge that we need to think about tonight. Are you being an example? Are you being that kind of a testimony for other Christians around you? Masterful example found in Jesus Christ. Lastly, this evening, we'll look at our manifest praise. Our manifest praise. The word manifest simply means to reveal something or to show something or to make something known. Um, and this is found in the last part of verse 10. It says, But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was in me. Here, Paul is pointing all of the glory to God. He says, he's, he keeps saying over and over, I am nothing, Christ is everything, I must decrease, he must increase. And here he says that the grace of God which was in him was the thing that matters, was the thing that even gave him the ability to do the things that he has done. So first of all, in order to give God the ultimate glory and the praise that we need to tonight, we need to get our focus off ourselves. And we know that. We know that as, as Christians, we, we need to get our focus off ourselves. But I know I need reminded about that because it's so, so easy to get our focus on ourselves. John 3, verses 30 and 31 says, He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. Here in these verses, we see that, that John has his eyes in the right place. 
that he has his eyes on God, saying God is above all. He is, he, he is everything, and we people on the earth are nothing. Get your focus off of yourself. Um, and I, I guess practically speaking, um, I just think of the things that we struggle with getting our focus on ourselves each day, um, even, with, even in our jobs even the things that we do from day to day, our work descriptions. It's easy to get our focus on, oh man, I didn't get as much accomplished as I wanted to today. Or man, I'm really struggling with this coworker. Or man, this, this person's really being a headache at work. Um, and it's easy to get our focus on ourselves in that way when we could very easily turn this situation around to God's glory and try to be a blessing to that coworker. Or, or, or ask the Lord, God, help me to get more accomplished tomorrow. Um, things like that. It's so easy to become self-centered, especially when something goes wrong. We need to make sure we have our eyes off ourselves. The second part of that, obviously, is get your focus on God. Get your focus on God. I love this verse. One, one, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 10.31. We all know it. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Every little thing that you do needs to bring glory to God. And uh, that is our manifest praise. So it starts with, um, it starts with seeing our miserable state seeing that aside from Christ, we are nothing and we have nothing. But thanks to him, we have our miraculous bestowment, that grace that's given to us. We have a masterful example to follow. We have a manifest praise because of that. We should have a manifest praise, a, a, reveal, a revealed praise to the Lord that we can steer other people toward Jesus Christ. For several years, I worked at a Christian camp in Wisconsin, um, Many years, most of my life, I was up there each summer. And um, each summer that we went up there, there was a man who was a pastor of a local church, and he was busy. He had a lot to do um, being, a, being a pastor, but he volunteered hours and hours and hours out of his week to be at this camp. And uh, this man was a great man of God. I, I don't know if you've um, come across anyone in your life that just stood out to you. Um, the moment that you meet them, you just say, wow, that person knows Jesus Christ. <laughs> that person is close to God. And this is one of those men where you talk to him for a few minutes and you see, wow, this man has a relationship with God. He is close to God. And um, he was a great challenge to me while I was at, at that camp. Um, not not because he was a keynote speaker at the camp, because he wasn't. <laughs> not because he was up front doing a lot of things, because he wasn't. This man was behind the scenes a lot of the time. He, w- he was encouraging individuals. He was praying with people. He was washing dishes in the kitchen. He was getting work projects done around the place. And he was giving devotionals for some of the kids. And, um, just Just volunteering his time to make a difference in these children's lives. And he was a challenge to me. I, w- I would often see him outside of the chapel building on his knees praying and asking the Lord to uh, bless the chapel services that we would see souls saved during that week. And I guess when I think of someone who had the kind of impact that the Apostle Paul did, I think of that pastor um, that gave of himself. He didn't think great things of himself. He was in the dish pit washing these dishes and everything. He didn't think great things of himself, um, but he was willing to be used. And I think that's what we need to be tonight. We, we don't need to be greatly talented. We don't need to have great things going for us. We just need to be yielded and usable for the master's use. We need to be fit for the master's use. 
Um, so I hope that's a challenge tonight. I hope that you will strive, uh, as this has been a challenge to me, to be what God wants you to be tonight, to, to allow him to, to humble yourself and allow him to use you, um, to be like that pastor who gave of himself. Um, you don't have to be center of attention. You don't have to be um, even exceptionally talented. You just need to be useful for God, and God will do great things through you. And I honestly believe that if we all had that focus tonight, if we all had that desire, our church would be transformed completely. I, I don't think we'd be the same as we are tonight because our church has a, a lot of growth a lot of growth ahead of it. And I, I'm excited to see where Fostoria Baptist Church will go and, and our, us as individuals, where we will go. But we must humble ourselves, realize that we are nothing in and of ourselves and accept that grace of God to do great things on his behalf. And I know he will. He can use each and, in, each and every one of us in great ways. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the grace that you have given us, that you've bestowed upon us. May we not accept that grace in vain. But Lord, I pray that tonight we would take advantage of the great grace that you have given to us and serve you in the way that you have planned for us. May we be like Paul on the road um, to Damascus, Lord, and as he, he, was, he, he may have been going the wrong direction, so we may be going the wrong direction tonight. But I pray that we would have a change of mind, that we would be willing to yield ourselves up to you for any task that you have for us. Lord, that you would use us each individually in a great way for your glory. Uh, putting it practically, Lord, I pray that you would help us uh, as the wild game dinner comes uh, right around the corner, Lord, I, I pray that each of us would be in our place usable for you during that time. Those that can't be here, I pray that they would be going before your throne in prayer and asking your, your guidance and your help during that time. Pray, I pray that you would do a great thing through our church, through the wild game dinner, that we would see many, many saved for you. Uh, for your glory, Lord, and for your honor. And Lord, as we go into this prayer time, we'll pray a little bit more for the wild game dinner and for the requests that were mentioned tonight. May we be filled with your spirit, seeking after you, yielded to your working tonight. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.